Good morning, church. Man, it is so good to be back with you. It feels like I've been here. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been here, actually. Only one time this year. I feel I've left out of Cyprus a little bit. Uh, and so I'm back here, and I'm excited. If you're new, there's a good chance you have never seen me before, so let me introduce myself. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here at Bayou City Fellowship. Uh, the last few weeks I've been preaching at Spring Branch on and off, and so that's where I've been. I haven't just been sitting uh, with my rear end in the sand and my feet in the water. I have been working a little bit, and so it's an honor to be with y'all today to open up the Word of God. If, if you're a guest, uh, really straightforward, you all just need to hear something. We're about Jesus. We're about Jesus. If, if he said it, we want to hear about it, and not just hear about it, we just want to put it into action. Uh, if Jesus did it, we want to do it. If he said it, we want to hear it. And so hear this if you're new. If you came here to get some uh, amazing pastor, uh, maybe come back next week. Curtis will be back here. Um, if you came to hear an amazing band, like you got that, but that's not the intent of today. Today we're gathering around the presence of a living God. Amen? And so we didn't come to hear some guy open up the word. We came to ask the Holy Spirit who inspired the word of God, who brings it to life today, to speak into the darkest places of our heart today. And so today we just want to submit to that, to the Spirit, to move, to speak. And we say, we're here, Lord. We're your people. You said your people will hear your voice, and so we, we, we step into that today. Uh, and so welcome. If you're a guest, it's so good to be here. We're in James chapter 4. If you have a Bible, flip over there. Um, I'm proud of you guys for showing back up uh, because the last few weeks, James has just been boom, boom, like slugging us in the nose. Some of us got bloodied last week uh, when James is like, hey, you adulterous people. James, tell us how you really feel about us. Like today, though, uh, just give you a heads up, it's not going to get any lighter, okay? So everybody just say, we're going to make it through this. Another week of James just bringing the truth. But there is a silver lining today, and I'm excited to get there. Today we're talking about humility and pride. Humility and pride, something I know too much about. Unfortunately, more probably about the pride than the humility. Uh, the last few weeks, though, uh, actually five weeks ago, a buddy of mine in Spring Branch, our sister campus, he came to me and said, hey, I'm going to start a new workout routine. Would you like to join me? And, you know, I love this guy, and I've just been working out in my garage and doing P90X and things like that. And this was supposed to be a legit, like, go to the gym lift. And I said, yes. And once I said yes, he said, okay, we're going to meet at 5 a.m. And I said, what? Uh, he said, no, you already said yes. So 5 a.m. every morning, I've been lifting out with this, lifting with this friend of mine, and uh, what's been interesting is we're actually doing the lifts that I used to do for football in high school and college. Now, I haven't been here for a while, so let me remind you, I play football at the Ohio State University. You got to get some love here once in a while. So, so when I was at, uh, in high school and college, you do specific lifts. Like, you actually put weight on a bar and you squat, and you do this one crazy lift, a deadlift. Has anybody ever done a deadlift? Uh, yeah, so imagine doing a deadlift, but you haven't done it for 10 years. And I'm no longer 22 with a body that's been lifting for eight years to do the same thing. I'm now 32, stepping into a gym where I haven't been in 10 years. And so talk about humility. Uh, I show up that first week, and I go, and, you know, there's other guys that are way stronger than I am. And so that's humbling in itself. And then I have to get on the squat rack and for the first time in 10 years, I load up, and I'm squatting now what I used to curl. Really, really embarrassing. You guys know what I'm talking about. I'm like, man, this is a much bigger muscle than this, and yet I can't lift very much weight. And so that's humbling. And then I, I deadlift for the first time, and it's not even my body weight. And I'm like dying. It's killing me. And so uh, I, I Thursday, after a, a workout of legs, quads, and a, a legs, hamstrings, 
I, I get back home and I go straight to my room. I didn't even say hi to my wife. I just go and I lay on the floor because I couldn't even get my leg up to the bed. And I lay down in the fetal position and started to moan. And I said, Kate, will you come in here and just rub my back because I am so tight, like I can't even move. It's humbling. So humbling. And in that moment, I had to make a decision. Was I going to let my ego get the best of me? And if I let my ego get the best of me, I could make one of two decisions. I could say, hey, I'm not going to go look a fool again. I'm not going to go back to that weight room and look like an idiot. So that's one option. Or I could say, I'm going to go to the weight room. I'm going to load up what I used to lift, and I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to blow out my hamstrings and never be able to lift again. Those are my two options if I let my ego get in the way. <laughs> or there's another option is I could humble myself. I could step into the weight room, leave my ego in my car, and step in and put those little two and a half plates on. <laughs> and I could squat and I could deadlift and I could begin where I was at. You see, the option I have with lifting is I can either walk in pride or I can walk in humility. And what James is going to show us today, that each one of us, none of us excluded, all are either going to walk in pride or you're going to walk in humility. And we're going to see this in the text today as he lays it out for us and, and really puts before us an option. Pride or humility. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. We're just going to look at the first word. The first word is but. B-U-T. Now everybody say but. So my kids, if they were here, they would have laughed at you. And they would have been really proud of me because I got you all to say but. But we're talking about B-U-T today, not the other kind of but. And so we're talking about a but, but how many of you, the word but is a very powerful word. Does anybody else know that today? Just think about how powerful the word but is in your life. If you're a teenager in school, maybe like some of these young, good-looking kids are, you have a desire to go to the prom. And maybe a boy comes up to you and says, hey, I'd really like to go to the prom with you, but I'm already going with this other girl. But changes everything. Hey, hey, uh, at your work, some of us are having the annual reviews right now, right? We're going to our boss that one time a year that you're like, oh, I don't want to go, but I do want to go. And so I get in there, and he says, hey, Derek, excellent year. That's phenomenal. You hit all of your goals. You did everything I've asked you to do, but uh, the guys that wear the suits said, I've got to cut 20% of my staff, and you didn't make it. But changes everything on a dime. Or maybe you're in a dating relationship, you're single, and you really want to have a husband or a wife, and you're in a relationship, and it seems to be going really well, and they get to this point where they say, I, I love you, but I can't commit my life to you. See, but changes everything. Whatever was said, it just gets a complete 180 and changes the course of direction. And so what we see here is we see a but that changes the whole picture of what James is writing. So he says, but he, speaking of God, gives us more grace. Now, to understand the importance of this, we have to know what, what did James say ahead of time? So he said a bunch of stuff, and then he said, but we get more grace. So we got to understand, what did he say on the front end of the but? And we know that, and we've been talking about that. That's why some of us are coming in here with bloody nose and bandages, because James is just not relenting on us. He's just a bottom-line guy. And so some of the things James has told us over the time we've been opening up James is you should be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. That you should not show partiality to someone who can do something for you and not honor somebody who can't do anything for you. 
Faith without works is dead. Talking a big game but not even caring for those that are in your plain sight, that should not be the case in your life. Your tongue, it's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, you bless one moment and turn around and you curse the next moment. He said that shouldn't be so. Then James said that some of us are choosing wisdom from below, not wisdom from above, that it's earthly, that it's unspiritual, that it's demonic, that its fruit is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Then he said that we are fighting because we don't have. We covet. We argue. We don't have because we don't ask. And when we do ask, we only ask for our own desires and passions. And then last week, as we heard, he says, you adulterous people. Thank you, James. He said, you have made yourself friends of the world. And because of that, you are now an enemy of God. So he has built this court case against us. All of these things, this is what you people are doing that he's writing to. And then he gets to verse 6 of chapter 4, and he says, but he gives more grace. He gives grace that is greater than his demand. Can I get an amen in that? So what we see here is, is Jesus is the fulfillment of the but. Because we see here that, that the but is actually the gospel. That, that we see that the wages of sin, and by the way, every single person, me included as your pastor, is a sinner. The wages of sin, it says, is death, but God saves us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We were born sinners, enemies of God, but God reconciled us through Jesus. That you can't be holy enough be, to be in the presence of a holy God, but God makes us holy through the blood of Jesus, and therefore we can enter into the throne of his presence with confidence. See, this is the good news of the gospel. You can't, but God. You can't, but God. This but changes everything if we understand it. He says that you have all these things that I'm going to call you out for. But in the midst of that, there, there is this but. He gives you greater grace than all the things you've messed up. His grace is greater than the demand he has placed on us. Do we get that this morning? But grace. It's an amazing, amazing truth. Now this word grace, it, it is defined as unmerited favor with God. It's getting what you don't deserve. But in addition to grace being getting what you don't deserve, grace is also the power to live as Christ. That's what Paul writes when Jesus speaks to him. He says, my grace, this is Jesus speaking, my grace, Jesus' grace, is sufficient for you in your weakness I'm made strong. And so what we see is, is grace is for sure, it's unmerited favor, but it's also the power of God to make you more like God. So this is important for us to get this because grace allows us to enter into the presence of God it, uh, grace meets us when we're at our worst, but it doesn't leave us there. See, grace is then what empowers us to live in victory, to be more and more like Christ. Grace invites us to God, but it's also grace that empowers us to be more like God. 
Now, I've shared with you guys several times about, you know, my past of addiction to pornography and, and lying to my wife and our marriage almost just self-imploding. In the worst of my sin, when I would say, man, I, I, I never had sinned so much in my life, in that moment is where I met grace. But as I met grace, what propelled me out of that into victory over that addiction, into victory in my marriage was grace. Grace meets us where we're at, but he doesn't want to leave us there. It comes alongside and says, hey, come on. Now come to me. Now I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to empower you to live a life that looks more and more like Christ. This is huge. We've got to get this, church. We've got to get it. That grace is for sure unmerited favor, but it's also the power to be more and more like Christ. Now let's look in the end of Verse 6, it says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, now this is a very interesting concept because, right? you know, we sing about God being love. We sing about God's grace and God's mercy, God's faithfulness for all generations. But, but have you ever thought about this verse that says God opposes someone? A God of love, a God who loves you more than you could ever realize that he will oppose you if necessary. Have, have you ever considered that? To understand the reason why God would ever oppose us, we've got to understand the bigger context of what God is doing in each one of our lives. What he is offering us as human beings is a deep relationship with him. Come to me. I, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. This is God's plea for humanity. Come to me. I want to be in relationship with you. But what we see here, he opposes the proud because pride, it breeds independence and isolation, both of which destroy relationship. Pride will kill relationship. Pride also, the reason why, I think in addition to isolation and independence, pride keeps us from seeing our need. And if you don't ever see your need, you're not ever going to want to fix for your need. And so when I'm operating in pride, I never recognize my need for God. And if I never recognize my need for God, there's never a chance for me to go and turn to him. And so he says, in those moments, I'm going to oppose the proud. And it's really, really purposed. He, he says this, or, or this is what he's saying, the purpose of my opposition is to cultivate restoration. The purpose of opposition is to cultivate restoration. Once again, can I get an Amen. See, opposition is when God pulls his favor and blessing away from us. He pulls the protection. He pulls the blessing away. That's what opposition is. And what we know about God is he never opposes us for nothing. He always is purposed in his opposition of us. It's never a blind opposition. It's not born out of resentment or bitterness. He is intentional. His intent is to cultivate the path of restoration to restore right relationship through difficult circumstances that bring revelation of God's glory. To restore right relationship through difficult circumstance that bring revelation to God's glory. Listen, God is for you. He, he is not against you one little bit. And so if Satan is telling you right now God is against you, it's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. But in God's furious love for you, it will lead him at times to oppose you in order to draw you nearer. The intent is always to bring deeper community. Always. Now we move on to the next verse, verse 
7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, these, these terms, submit and resist, uh, they are active words. They're not just bench warmer, like I'm just going to be a passerby. No, these are actually active words. Uh, some theologians say that they are actually battle terms, like military terms. Resist and submit. The word resist, it means this. It means to withstand the action of or the effect of. Uh, Strong's Dictionary says it is to set against, to stand against, to oppose. So what James is saying, that we are to resist the devil or to resist Satan, but to know how to do that, we've got to say, what is the purpose and intent of Satan himself? And here's, here's the light we're going to shine in on Satan today. His number one objective in your life is to distort your view of who God is. And number two is to distort your view of who God created you to be. He'll do that through confusion. He'll do that through doubt. He'll do that by offering you uh, something that looks really good, but it's not of God. He wants your disobedience. He wants to still kill and destroy you in your life so that he can destroy your view of who God is and who you were created to be. That's Satan's number one objective for every single person in this room. And so what we're called to do in James is to oppose that, to resist the purposes of Satan in your life. We resist Satan when we refuse to partner with him and his plans or desires. I love how Eugene Peterson, he's the guy that translated the message. In this section of the message, it says, yell a loud no to Satan and he will flee. It's a beautiful picture. So I thought there would be no excuse today from us to leave in here and say, I don't know how to say no to Satan. So on three, I want us to all say no. One, two, three. No. Now I want you to have this picture. What would you do if your two-year-old was getting ready to run out in the highway? And you were far away. How much urgency would be in your voice to say no? So right now I want you to think of that and I want you to say no on three. One, two, three. No! How much more is your sin coming between you and God? See, sometimes we just need to say no to Satan. No, you're not going to have my marriage. No, you're not going to steal my kids away from me. No, I'm not going to enter into the things at work that are destroying your name. No, I'm not going to lie here. No, I'm not going to gossip here. No, Satan, you're not going to have me this time. No, no, no. You see, we say no to a lot of things in life. We say no every day, actually. The question is, what are we saying no to, and what are we saying yes to? Resist the devil. Flip over to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to see Jesus, who's our perfect example. We're going to see how he responds to Satan when he's attacked. Matthew chapter 4. Now, Jesus had just been uh, baptized by John the Baptist. At that time, it said the, the heavens opened up. The Father speaks, this is my Son in who I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus, prepares him, fills him up for his ministry. And from there, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where he is fasting for 40 days, building this intimacy with the Father. That's what we see here. 
And so in the midst of this 40-day fast, Satan comes and he begins to do exactly what we just said Satan does. Now remember, the father just said, this is my son and who I am well pleased. He just spoke Jesus' identity over him just so everybody, including Jesus, knows, hey, you are my son. I am well pleased in you. Now now look what Satan does when he gets a chance. Look in verse 3. The tempter came and said to him, listen, if you are the son of God. Man, the father just said that. And now Satan's desire is to twist the view of Jesus, of his own identity in the father. So he attacks, if you are the son of God. And then he goes in and he says these three opportunities for Jesus, these three temptations. The first one is provision. Hey, here's, here's some food. You're hungry. 40 days. Here's some food. Why don't you turn this stone to food? And then he goes on to say, hey, why don't you throw yourself down? The angels will definitely protect you. So he attacks protection. And then the third thing he attacks Jesus with is power. He says, hey, I'll give you all of this, all the kingdom of the world, if you would just worship me. So in the midst of these temptations, Satan tries to undermine who Jesus believes he is. That he also tries to undermine the father and his identity of who Jesus thinks the father is. And each time Jesus says, no, it is written. See, he speaks out. Sometimes we really do need to speak out when Satan is coming, coming, coming. Sometimes we just need to speak out. And that's not hocus pocus. That's not a magical formula. But sometimes I just got to preach to myself by speaking it out. Sometimes that stirs my faith and stirs my my, my endurance to say, no, Satan, you're not going to have it. Because this is what the word of God says. See, I resist and I submit. That's what we see Jesus do here, he says, no, I'm not buying into your lies, Satan. I'm going to agree and submit to the truth of the Father. And then he quotes some scripture. And what I think we can take heart in is that Satan came three times after Jesus. Jesus says, no, I'm submitting to the Father. No, I'm submitting to the Father. No, I'm submitting to the Father. Take heart if you are struggling right now with Satan. Because it says in verse 11... That then, after no, 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 yes, yes, yes to God, it says, then the devil left him. See, James is saying here, resist Satan, and he will flee. And so I want to speak of encouragement. Sometimes we paralyze Satan with persistent resistance. Sometimes it's not overnight. Sometimes, like Jesus, we've got to continue to say no, even when it's hard. And to say yes to the Father. Now, the other word we talked about is submit. So we said we got to resist the devil, resist Satan, but then at the same time we're called to submit to God. That word submit means to accept or to yield to a superior force. The Strong's definition says to subject to or to willingly come under the authority of another. To So to submit to God, it means that I am willingly aligning myself with God and his truth. The most defiant action you can take against Satan is to submit to God and his word. What's it look like to resist Satan? No, but yes to the truth of God. Resist, submit. It depends on who you are resisting and who you are submitting. We are to say no to Satan's lies and yes to God's Truth. Now, now this, this week, I, I had uh, an opportunity to live this out. Uh, how many of you know it's tax season 
and everybody booed. <laughs> Boo. Unless you're getting a big check. Um, but I was doing my taxes, and, you know, last year I was not a pastor, and so this year, I, or 2015, I became a pastor, so my taxes are a little bit more confusing. And so for the first time, as hard as it was, I had to actually pay somebody to do my taxes, which is really hard for me because I like doing my own thing. But this is confusing. There's some different nuances around there. And so I, I gather all of my W-2s, all of my information, and I send them off in this email. A few days later, I get this response. I said, hey, you owe $100 to me because I did your taxes. And oh, by the way, you owe some money. And I said, wow, that's the first. I mean, man, that's, that's crazy. So I opened up my form, and, and it, was, it was a lot of money to me that I owed. And I was like, what's going on here? And so I began to review line by line, like, what did this guy do? Like, I just gave him $100, and now for the first time in my life, I'm having to pay money on my taxes. And I thought when you're a pastor, like, you got better breaks, and that's just not what I'm seeing here. So what's the deal? I made a lot more money last year than I made this last year. Like, what's happening? So I began to go line by line and say, man, what is this? And so in my review of my taxes, I realized that I hadn't claimed my cash and checks that I got for marriage and funerals and other things that I do through the church. Now, in that moment, Satan offered up a great lie to me. He said, hey, no one would ever know. Your wife doesn't even care about the taxes. She just wants them done. She's not going to go and look through it. Your tax guy, he doesn't know. He didn't ask the question. So who would ever know if you just put that under the rug? Why don't you just take that road, Derek? Listen, you're a pastor. You, you make less money. You've made some sacrifices. Like, why would you want to give a couple hundred dollars more to the government? Like, nobody wants to do that. And then the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Derek, I called you to be a man of integrity. Do you trust me to provide for you? Do you trust me to obey me even when it might hurt a little bit? Do you trust me? Will you submit to me in this? And I had this decision. Was I going to resist Satan and submit to God or was I going to submit to Satan and resist the work of God in my life? And as your pastor, I'm telling you, I had to work through that for a little while because everything in me said, no, you already pay enough. Just take the easy way out. Nobody's going to know. But the Spirit speaks in and says, no, Derek. Do you trust me? Will you submit to me? Now, for the IRS, you guys need to know that are listening to this right now, I did put down on my taxes that I actually made the money. <laughs> Do not audit me. I don't want to be like Donald Trump 12 times in a row. He said too many times. If you watch the debate, you know that he said that 10 times. So who are you resisting? Who are you submitting to? We say yes and no all the time. Who are you saying yes to and who are you saying no to? It makes a big difference in your life, and it makes a difference to God. Now look on to verse 8. This is one of the, my favorite uh, passages and promises in the Scripture. Verse 8, we're going to get a little lighter here. It says to draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Now, we see how to draw near to God in the preceding verses. If I want to draw near to God, what I see is I've got to say no to Satan and yes to the Spirit. I've got to say resist but submit. That's what it looks like to draw near to God. And when I do that, what happens is he will draw near to me. But in those moments, like in my taxes, whatever that decision, maybe it's in your time on the Internet by yourself. Maybe it's your time at work where somebody from the opposite sex is giving you a little attention and it kind of feels good. Maybe you're, you're giving up some of your purity, young guys, because you feel like you've got to get some kind of affirmation in your life. 
Whatever he's saying, listen, when it is put on the table, what Satan does is he undermines God's truth by speaking lies. He may say this to you. Maybe you've heard, I've heard all these. That's why I could use them. You should be ashamed of yourself. Why would you ever turn to God? God won't come near to you because you fill in the blank. You're fake. You're phony. You failed. You've lied. You've dug your own grave this time. Or maybe this one you've heard before. God will tear you to pieces and pour out his wrath if you turn to him right now. Or I think this one's probably one of the most prevalent that maybe Satan has spoken in my life. Why don't you hold off on turning to God? Why don't you go back and try to clean up your own sin a little bit first so that you can actually show God that you're serious this time, that, that maybe he'll love you more because of the effort that you put on the front side. Maybe God will say, okay, now that you've done all these things, now I'll draw near to you. Lies, lies, lies from the pit of hell. What James says is to resist these kind of lies from Satan and instead embrace the truth of God that says God, Jesus, came for the sinner. Amen? That, that while we were still sinners, God loved us and died for us. He didn't say, I, I came to earth to die for you, but before I go on the cross, I need you to just stop sinning a little bit less. He said, no, at your worst, there was no hope for you. I became your hope. I went to the cross and died for you. At your worst, I loved you. What's wrong with today? This is what he speaks to us. This is the truth of God. He promises to draw near to anyone who draws near to him with no strings attached. None whatsoever. There is no prerequisite. There is no pre-work. There is no self-cleaning. There is nothing required but this. So hear me, church. Draw near to God by resisting the devil and submitting to God. God will always draw near to you. No matter what sin you committed last night, no matter what belief you have today that you think that you have disqualified yourself from the love of God, those are lies. Today we want to grab hold of the promise that says draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. There's no small text. There's no but. There's no if. Come to God. And he will draw near to you. And so I got to ask you today, what is keeping you from that promise today? What is keeping you from stepping towards God today and saying, I I want to know you. What is the lie that Satan is speaking over you that makes you fearful of coming to the presence of God and giving your life completely to him? Whatever it is, whatever lie that Satan is speaking over your life right now that's keeping you from turning to God, it's a lie. Let the truth of God penetrate your heart today that says, if you turn to me, I will turn to you no matter what. Humble yourself. Come to me. Admit that you don't have it all together. And I'll walk with you as I put it back together. Such a beautiful truth. Then we get to verse 8 and 9. He says, the backside of 8. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
Thanks for sucking the air out of the room, James. <laughs> now, if we just read that with no understanding, it could be a little confusing, but, but let me shine some light on this. What James is doing is he is speaking into a specific group of people in this letter. And we know the context of this. In chapter 3, verse 14, he's talking about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, that you're running after your own desires, that you ask only to have your own passions fulfilled. And so what we can gather is James is speaking to a group of people that have their priorities flipped upside down, that they have valued their possessions and their desires above all else. So what James' letter today is, pointing to is that this group of people, they were double-minded, saying that they were followers of Jesus, yet they lived for their own desires and took great joy and laughter in their sinful actions. In essence, they were mocking God with their demeanor and stance towards their own sin. That's what James is speaking into. James says to them, wake up. What are you doing? Do you not know the God you profess died to give you victory over sin and not to give you a free pass to sin? Your sinful lusts and desires should not be laughed at or enjoyed. No. Turn your laughing to mourning and your joy to gloom. Don't be foolish and think that you can say one thing and live another. Don't downplay your sin. Don't celebrate your selfishness. Don't enjoy what Jesus died to remove. Turn from that way of thinking. Don't be double-minded. Thinking you can follow Christ and live for your own passions and desires. We must not be ignorant of what James is speaking to this specific group of people because I believe it's applicable to me. It's applicable to you that your sin and my sin, it brings much pain and grief to God. We should not minimize our sin to ease our consciousness. When's the last time that you ever were convicted over your sin? Uh, maybe when's the last time you shed a tear over your sin that, that you said yes to Satan, and in doing so, it impacted your relationship with God? What, what James is saying here is that there were a group of people that were celebrating their sin, enjoying, laughing. And to that group, he says, no, it shouldn't be that way. Remember, Jesus came to die for your sin to give you victory. Don't continue on on this pace of enjoying this. No, don't be double-minded. Take your sin seriously. It grieves God. That same truth is today. We live under grace today. So did James and his followers. Don't downplay your sin to make yourself feel better. But here's the beautiful part. We can't leave right there because we got to look at verse 10 because this is the golden ticket in the whole Remember, verse 10 says this. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. When I humble myself, what it requires of me is to recognize that God is God and I'm not. To recognize that he is the creator, that he is full love, that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, that he is just, that he is forgiven, that he's my redeemer, that he's my reconciler, that he is my savior, and I'm not. I'm the created of the creator. I'm finite. I'm limited. I'm in need. That's a hard one for us. I'm in need of God's love. I'm in need of his protection. I'm in need of his wisdom. 
and the saving power. When I begin to see God for God and recognize who I am in comparison, that's humility. And that's what the scripture tells us is where God gives us greater grace, pours it out. That's where it says he gives grace to the humble is when we recognize who he is and who I am. The last verse I want you to turn to is Luke chapter 18. Jesus is telling a story to a big group of people. And I think it just gives us a beautiful picture of what it looks like to either walk in pride or to walk in humility. Because remember, that's what was before us today. Which one are we going to choose? Verse 9 of chapter 18 of Luke, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And then Jesus, these are letters in red that he said, listen to this. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. For I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He goes on and says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, this is a beautiful picture because the the Pharisee, the religious leader, which some of us are operating in that today, you just need to be honest with yourself. You feel like you bring to the table what God desires and that because of what you do or don't do, that somehow justifies you in the presence of a perfect and holy God. And I'm just going to tell you that's bogus. I'm going to call bull on you because even on your best day, you're still a sinner saved by God's grace. And so this Pharisee, he didn't see his need. He thought he was good enough. And so he addresses God like, man, I'm so grateful I'm not like Derek. So grateful. I do all the right things and I don't do the wrong things. But then Derek or the sinner, the tax collector, he gets before God. He says, God, you are a God of mercy. I need your mercy for I am a sinner. See, he recognized two things. He recognized who God was, that he's the God of mercy, that only he can give mercy But he also recognized that he had a need for mercy. See, when we recognize that we are a needy people, then we come to God and say, God, I want to draw near to you. And what's the promise? He will draw near to us. It's beautiful today. It's a beautiful picture. So in the midst of James giving us a left and a right, he says the beauty in this, if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And so as we wrap up today... I just want to ask you, what is God speaking to you this morning? Where do you need to tell Satan no? Where where is God asking you, submit to me. Submit your relationship to me. Submit your dating relationship to me. Submit your marriage to me. 
Submit your desire to be promoted at work to me. Submit your finances to me, your bitterness, your fear, your depression. What is God asking you to submit to him, to draw near to him and recognize, man, I have a need. When I have that posture of God, you're God and I'm not, the promise is that he will draw near to me. It's such a beautiful thing. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you're not a bait and switch God. That you're a God who promises and then comes through with your promises. Lord, I thank you that you, you worked in James' life and uh, inspired him to write these words that are both convicting but also exciting because what we read today is that we can draw near to you, the perfect and holy and righteous God who is above everything and has created everything, that you would consider us worthy of the blood of Jesus, that we could come into relationship with you and not just for heaven, eternity, eternity, but for today, we can have a relationship with you. I thank you for that. Lord, bind the lies of Satan that are in this room. Speak truth. Lord, help us to be a congregation that says yes to the Father and no to the Satan. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is what we're going to do.